the Art of Leadership Network. Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. It's Carrie here. I hope our time together today helps you thrive in life and leadership. Today, we have Andy and Sandra Stanley. I had a great time with them. Uh, was actually at North Point. We filmed this. So if you haven't checked out my YouTube channel, make sure you do. We talk all about behind the scenes in leadership, their marriage, ministry, parenting, how to juggle all the demands, and a lot more. And today's episode is brought to you by my brand new email newsletter, On The Rise. It's delivered every Friday, and I would love for you to subscribe. I feature some really fascinating, curious content about faith, culture, the future church, and other topics I'm interested in. Subscribe at On The Rise newsletter and by Belay. Belay is offering our listeners their resource for costly financial mistakes for churches for free. To claim it, just text Carrie, C-A-R-E-Y, to 55123. Well, we're going to talk about parenting mistakes that you should avoid, the key to juggling full-time ministry while being home with your family, and raising kids who want to be around you when they're grown up. So I've got back on the podcast, Andy Stanley. He is a communicator, author, and pastor. He is the founder of Atlanta-based North Point Ministries and started that in 1995. Today, North Point Ministries consists of eight churches in the Atlanta area and a network of 180 churches around the world that collectively serve over 200,000 people weekly. He is the host of Your Move, which delivers over 10.5 million messages each month through television, digital platforms, and podcasts. And he's the author of more than 20 books. And for the first time, we are welcoming Sandra Stanley to this podcast. Sandra is a graduate of Georgia Tech and Dallas Theological Seminary. She has a heart for foster kids and foster families. Much of her time these days is spent working on various writing projects and continuing her involvement with fostering together the foster care initiative of North Point Ministries. And she and Andy have a brand new book on parenting called Getting It Right. It is fantastic. And also, I know their kids, particularly Andrew. Andrew, who's uh, become a comedian. I'll tell you, their kids are amazing. So these guys are fantastic at figuring out how to raise kids. And we go deep in this interview. So those of you who are parents, those of you who care about the next generation, and those of you who are trying to figure out how to get it all done and still have a home life, I think you're going to love this episode. So I have something brand new I would love for you to check out. I deliver it every Friday, and it is my brand new email newsletter called On The Rise. And in it, I feature the most fascinating, curious, and interesting content I can find. It's on the future church. Sometimes it's on text. Sometimes it's videos I've been watching. And in the first few issues, for example, I've uh, featured pieces on Tim Keller, who is deconstructing deconstruction, some research on how to actually become more grateful, why boomers are rethinking the church, and we've gotten tons of interaction from you. If you'd like to start receiving On The Rise, it's absolutely free. Go to ontherisenewsletter.com to sign up. The content is exclusive to newsletter subscribers, and I will be doing more exclusively by email. Uh, it's published nowhere else, so you're not going to find it on the blog, not going to find it anywhere else. So just go to ontherisenewsletter.com. It's completely free. When you sign up today, I'll send you a sample newsletter right away so you can get an instant taste of what it's like, and then we'll send it to you every Friday, and it's easy to unsubscribe to. Again, that is ontherisenewsletter.com. Would love to see you inside that. And then how do you know if you're going to make a costly mistake when it comes to your church's finances? It happens all the time, but no matter what organization you lead, finances are super important to your success. Church finances are no different. Luckily, Belay is the partner you need to identify the four biggest things that can wreck churches when it comes to finances, and you can learn what to do to avoid them. Because whether you need a highly vetted U.S.-based financial specialist, virtual assistant, social media manager, or web specialist, Belay's modern church staffing has the right person ready to help without the added stress of having to do everything on your own, which way too many leaders do. To help you get started... Belay would love to give you four costly financial mistakes for churches. 
As a listener, you're getting this resource for free. And with it, you can learn what to do to avoid these costly mistakes. To claim it, just text CAREY, that's C-A-R-E-Y, to 55123. Get the support you need to get out of financial ambiguity and back to doing what you do best with Belay. Text CAREY to 55123. And now, remember, we got this on YouTube too, if you're interested in watching. Here is my conversation with Andy and Sandra Stanley. Well, Andy and Sandra, welcome to the podcast. I'm so glad to have you here. Thanks for having us. And it's yeah. all, again, it's good to see you live. Yeah, it's good to be in the yeah. same room, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, I want to talk, maybe we'll start here, about the unique pressures that you felt, Andy, being raised as a pastor's kid. Because we have a lot of young leaders watching who are pastors, they work in the church. That is kind of a particular aquarium that yeah. you get raised yeah. in. What was that pressure like for you? I think the the big takeaway for me, my, neither of my parents, I, I never felt the pressure to be any different or any better or any more spiritual or any more churchy than, than my friends. And I, I think they were super intentional about that. And I don't know how they figured that out because neither of them came from families with ministers in them at all. I mean, um, so somehow they just let or encouraged us and gave us the space to be normal. And when, you know, when I asked Andrew to marry me, I forgot to tell her, oh yeah, by the way, if we have kids, they'll be preacher's kids. <laughs> yeah. could, could have been a deal breaker. Yeah. <laughs> did better. you not know that you were going no. to do ministry at the time? No, he did. She, yeah. no, oh, she, did. no, I was in I ministry. I married into it. Yeah, she oh. married into being a past, a, you know, a youth, youth pastor's pastor. wife, gotcha. but it never, you know, I didn't bring up the, oh, by the way, preacher's kids. But, so I feel like I had a great model in terms of with our kids of, in fact, I Sandra would, tell you that she felt more pressure to maybe put more expectations on them in terms of their behavior as it related to my reputation than mm-hmm. I did. Yeah. Um, because I knew that's that's just a no-go. No no kid needs that. And I didn't feel that. And um, in fact, I, I tell a story in a couple of my books about an, a, a time that I was caught doing something and the people who caught me thought my dad was really going to lower the boom. And he told him, hey, you raise your kids, I'll raise mine. And he told me that. We were driving home in the car. And he said, by the way, I found out about it. And I thought, uh-oh. And he said, you know what I told them? I said, what? He said, I said, you raise your kids, I'll raise mine. That was it. Didn't discipline me for it. And I still remember it. Mm-hmm. But And I think the emotion and the weight of that um, impacted how I approached parenting our three preacher's kids. So Yeah, I'm, I'm curious. You know, here's the counseling question, Andy. How did that make you feel? Yeah. But, but <laughs> as a teenager, oh, yeah. you were a teenager. How did that make you feel? It, you know what? It made me, we do talk about this in the book. It made me feel, I, I knew where I stood in relationship to my dad's reputation. And I knew that I was more important to him than his reputation. And that is huge, especially for someone in, in, in those days who was high profile like he was in our community. Mm-hmm. And I realized, oh, I mean, of course his reputation's important, but apparently I'm more important. And that stayed with me. That would have been super rare, I would think, in your dad's era too. Yes. Like more rare than it is today. You're exactly right, Gary. Hmm. Yes. Hmm. Sandra, how did you feel or experience that pressure when you were raising three kids in the fishbowl of ministry? Well, because of his experience, it made it a whole lot easier for us. My my knee-jerk response was to say, do you know how this is going to affect your dad, you know, our reputation? Blah, blah, blah. I could have easily gone there. You felt the and he would, he just drew that back and said, no, that's, that's, we're not going to, we're not going to do that. And I w- I'm so grateful because it really did, I think, um, impact our kids in a big way, just like it did Andy with his dad. So um, I'm so grateful for that because that would not have been the intuitive response for me. So looking outside your immediate family, you know, the kids tell the story about you sometimes reading emails that you got about you don't look at this person how yeah, they messed look up how their sin life. Ruin their life. Yeah. yeah. Don't, don't <laughs> do what they did. Yes. Don't do what they yeah, did. Tell me I passed the potatoes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which I think is hilarious. Uh, when you see other pastors make mistakes with their kids, or what you would call mistakes, like PK pressure, that kind of thing, what do you see them doing? Well, I don't know that. I've ever seen, I mean, I, I, unfortunately, probably like you, I hear the stories of the kids later, you know, they're adults and they have walked away from faith or have problems with faith. And then you hear about the way they were raised. So, you know, it wasn't real time. It was after the aftermath, unfortunately. And 
Um, you know, there are different versions of Christianity. And this is one of the things we talk about at the end of the book. We say it for the end to say, by the way, you know, here's the framework through which we view Christianity in general. And, um, you know, there's a legalistic approach. There's a highly experiential approach. There's all these different things. And that impacts the expectations that parents have on their kids in terms of how they are to experience and appropriate and demonstrate Christianity. And so for us, um, our paradigm was different than the one I was raised in and is different oftentimes than the ones I hear about when people have had a bad um, preacher's kid experience. So um, I don't know that there's commonality as much as oftentimes I do think it goes back to how important is the reputation of their dad um, and the framework of Christianity, the, the version of Christianity they were, mm-hmm. they were raised in. And legalism is poison. Mm-hmm. It just, it poisons relationships and it- and It runs it, kids it, away. Yeah, it, it yeah. does, so. And yet, you know, you're both, I don't wanna, this is gonna be the wrong term, so please call it what you want. Knowing you as I do, I would say you're, you're, you're not rule breakers. Like you're rule followers. No, we're both Enneagram ones. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We don't break any rules. <laughs> no, no, okay. I was going to say rule followers, yeah. but yeah. I mean, it's not like you're just, ah, whatever. That's no, not no. your personality yeah. at all. So how do you reconcile that? Because you're right. Legalism is poison. On the other hand, you both have immense respect for rules. So how do you, how do you manage that tension? I think for, for us in each different season of life, our approaches are different and our mm-hmm. conversations are different mm-hmm. and recognizing where they are in their age, in their stage, in their spiritual development, all of that, it informs what kinds of conversations you have. But I don't think, I don't, we, we laughed throughout our parenting years, the things that our kids were willing to tell us and tell him were not things we would have told our parents. Mm-hmm. And which is really interesting being in ministry because you would think it would be even more so that way than it would have been in my family. But um, but it's it's been interesting to see them want to turn and have conversations about hard things. And it's partly because of the climate and yeah. the expectations and the, the non-expectations on our kids. And it, it goes to the heart of what this book is about that we from the very beginning decided and we tell that story to parent with a relationship in mind. And relationship is about influence and it's about honor. Influence and honor. When I'm in a relationship with somebody I trust, I'm open to your influence. And because I feel like you honor me, I'll honor you back. So because we established that as a foundation early on, and that was not intuitive to either of us because of our personalities, um, it it reflected the kind of family Sandra was raised in but she was so used to it, she didn't know it was a thing. It was so different than the the environment I was raised in that I knew I had to be intentional about it. So I think if we had not recognized that early, and I'll talk about it a little bit later, we I would have parented toward compliance and obedience because I am a rule follower, so we're gonna follow the rule. Sandra's even more of a rule follower than me. I yeah, I was I would have left everybody bloody on the floor, just you know, we're gonna just fix this and move on. Her dad is a marine <laughs> colonel. So we our tendency would have been we're gonna behave ourselves. Um, but that's not it. And that does not facilitate. I mean, nobody wants to be in a relationship with a rule with the with the hall monitor or the assistant principal, right? I mean, that, those aren't good yeah. relationships. So um, I, I think by God's grace, what we saw with other parents, we were in student ministry for 10 years together. Right. We saw all kinds of parenting good models. Ones, bad ones, yeah. damn it. And we would yeah. take the good ones out to lunch and say, what are you doing? Tell us. And the way we would determine what we felt like a good parent was, was watching their relationship, not how they behave, but watching their relationship with their teenage kids. And we're like, how do you get to this season with teenagers and they're, there seems to be something good going on. So we would we would just we ask lots of questions. So it was that sort of combination of Sandra's family seeing that kind of different milieu and then also watching what was going on in student ministry where you had a front row seat. Yes, I think, yeah, those were those had big influence. Because I'm the same way. I would have parented, I have two boys, I would have parented toward compliance and obedience and stand in line, sit up straight. I'm on the stage, don't embarrass me. That's where all of my sinful instincts go. (laughs) I I had an intervention from a mutual friend of ours who I spent yesterday with, Reggie Joyner. And we started working together when the kids were just moving out of their middle school years or into their middle school years. And he taught me about fighting for the heart. Mm 
And above all else, preserve the relationship because if you have the relationship, you have influence. And I know you've known Reggie since forever. Mm-hmm. We, there's a story in our book about Hannah, his daughter. Yeah. Yeah. I told him, I told him, yeah. Hannah shows up in the book. We got permission. It's so good. And it's, it's when people read that story, they're going to think you made that up. And it is Reggie Joyner, it's Hannah, and it's 100% it's true. So great. Okay, we better go there. Then. Yeah. <laughs> tell, tell the story if you can. So the story is Andy and I, this was, Reggie was living in Florida, doing ministry in Florida, and we went to visit him and, and his family. Kids. Yeah, we didn't mm-hmm. have kids yet. And we're at a restaurant, a seafood restaurant down in Merritt Island, I think. Mm-hmm. Seafood restaurant. And we're sitting around the table, and they only had Reggie, Paul, and Hannah. I think so. And so we're sitting around the table, and they had apparently a two hush puppy rule. And so Hannah kind of blew through her first two hush puppies yeah, she pretty was eating, fast. Before we ordered our food, she just eating the yeah. hush puppies out and of the so basket. And so Reggie know. says to her, you're done. You've had your two hush puppies. And she just looks at him in the eye and is watching him the whole time, gets her third hush puppy, puts it right in her mouth, and we're all like, oh, no, what is about to happen? <laughs> and he took her, and they left the table for yeah. a few minutes, and... They yeah. disciplined her and they came back. Yeah, but there's a whole funny other part. We get to the to the van and after we're dinner and everybody's in the van. Up. Yeah, I mean, so the, uh, Reggie and I are standing outside the car. Everybody else is in. You can He's, tell this part. <laughs> he says, "Let me ask you a question. Do you think a two year old can be demon possessed?" <laughs> <laughs> and here's Andy, you know, with his master's of theology, yeah. you know, uh-huh. high, high honor graduate. Dallas, and he's yeah. like, dude, I don't know. No, I don't know. <laughs> we might have just seen it. I, that was some, a major defiance right there. No. She's going to do she's great so things. She's so wonderful. And she has and she done has. great things. She's and now a, she's got three young kids, and it's so fun to watch her on Instagram as she's oh. parenting her kids who have also the gleam in their eyes, I think. Yeah. Hannah's awesome. Yeah. yeah. And, and I trip. just think yeah, her husband's great. Yeah. 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 Trip. Uh, I always think it just having a toddler verifies total depravity. It's like <laughs> Calvin was right. Calvin was right. There's total depravity. <laughs> and on the part of the parents, too. Yeah. yeah. The oh, yeah. It yeah. brings out the, the worst. Yeah. It so, does. not a spoiler alert. It's a fantastic book. I, I told you guys I wish I had it 20 years ago. And I got glimpses of it because you've taught on some of it, but there's a lot new in this book. The it is parenting with the relationship in mind. What do rule followers, rule makers, rule oriented parents do when you see your five, three and one year old going off the rails? Like the interior dialogue and then the exterior reaction. Cause there's often a gap, right? Between the two. Can you walk us through what that felt like? Particularly I'm thinking about young parents who are watching this right now going, I'm in it. I haven't got a 30-year-old, I got a three-year-old. Yeah, well, when we talk about, there, you know, there, there are four seasons of parenting, four stages mm-hmm. of parenting, and we did not make it up. Nope. We, we learned this early on in our parenting journey. Andy and I have always been in small group. Our whole yeah. marriage, we've been in small groups with people in our season of life. And when we had our first child, we read every book, we did stuff in our small group. And so one of the first things we learned was about these four stages of parenting. So to answer your question, that first stage of parenting um, it's, it's the discipline years. It's like zero to five years old. And during that season of parenting, we landed on the three Ds. And we didn't make that up either. We learned it from some friends. Um, when it came to discipline and what needs to be disciplined, we decided the three things we'll discipline for are dishonesty, disrespect, and disobedience, those three things. Children are childish, that's just what they are. And we don't need to discipline for every childish thing they do. We can kind of, you know, move them along out of their childishness. But when it came to discipline, it was those three things, dishonesty, disobedience, and disrespect. And those were the things we decided during this season of life. This is when we're teaching our kids there are consequences for your actions. This is when the stakes are super low. So this is when we want them to get it because the older they get, the higher the stakes when they are disobedient, disrespectful, or dishonest. So, so that to those young parents, you know, those are kind of the three key things that we we came down the, on during that season. And the way this ties into the theme of this book is, we wanted, and again, in those that first season, we didn't try to explain this. You you sort of connect more dots in the second season of, of parenting, but we chose those three D three Ds because all three of those are connected to other people. And if you're going to parent with a relationship in mind, the rules should be associated with something that negatively affected another person. The goal isn't to keep the rule. The rule is established to protect other people. So you've dishonored someone. 
you've been disobedient to someone and you've dis, been dis, uh, disrespectful. disrespectful to someone. So there's always a person on the other end of a broken rule that's hurt. Well, this is true in all of life. When someone breaks the law, when somebody puts other people at risk for drunk driving, when somebody steals from a store, there's always someone who's been disadvantaged on the other end of lawbreaking. So if you're gonna parent with a relationship in mind, the rules have to be, the dots have to be connected between here's why we don't do this, and the why is not a what, the why is a who, hmm. it's a person. So those three Ds establish that ground, that sort of the, the playing field, when then they were old enough to connect the dots to here's why we don't, the three Ds are a big deal, because there are people impacted. So these aren't just rules to be kept, we're protecting other people through our honesty, through our honor, and through obeying certain rules, so. Did you know that then, or do you know that now looking back on it? Well, that's a great question, and that's a super fair question. We understood that then. Um, Andrew was how old on, when we made the trip to Hilton Head? He was just a few months old. Yeah, so he, he was in was a car seat. Yeah. So we were on our, our way to vacation, and we're not goal setters. Hmm. Um, but we were on our way to be, be with her parents and her brother and sister on uh, Hilton Head. And we were driving to Hilton Head, and we decided, hey, we need to set some, have some family goals. Mm -hmm. So we came up with three things. Two of them went away pretty quick because life's too chaotic raising kids to have <laughs> a bunch of goals. Trying to get through the day, Gary. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> but there was one that stuck, and it was the thing that I saw in Sandra's family, and it was this that you know, she was an adult, married, her brother and sister were adults. The five of them enjoyed being together and wanted to be together, even when they didn't have to be. And that was not the case for my sister and I and my, and my parents that are just, they, they would, if four of them were together and one of them wasn't, they would call the other we person. We would persecute the one who wasn't there. <laughs> like, we're having grandmama's biscuits, wish you were here. Yeah. You know, they would rub it in. always yeah. call that fifth person. And there was such a sense of we want to be together. And I recognized that in them. Even, honestly, I've told her this, it got on my nerves. They were so family-centric. I felt a little bit left out. Well, can't you just be more cynical toward each other? <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. And I think it There's just re reflected something that I didn't have and I missed. And I decided, I want that, but I'm gonna have to be intentional to get that because as we talked about earlier, my natural inclination is gonna be to parent toward compliance and rule keeping and let's do the right thing because God honors the right thing, you know? So, um, and it so, was all I knew. So when he said, right. this is what we wanna do, I was like, of course. What is I it? Mean, I'm assuming it. <laughs> yeah, you had to work at that? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but families don't drift toward that kind of relational wholeness. You drift in the opposite direction. So to answer your question, did we understand the connection between the rules we set and the relationships we're trying to protect? Yes, in a, in a general sense. And that's why we came up with kind of our two overarching rules that we talk about in the book early on. And they were, again, tied directly to Relationship. maintaining relationships. So. Yeah. Now, two things. One, what, what interested me, I mean, you're a biblical student and just with my law background, whenever I read the Old Testament and I'm going through Exodus, it's fascinating because they do the opposite of what we do in contemporary culture. So I go to the Stanley home, I steal your electronics, et cetera. You call the police, I get arrested. What happens? I go to jail or I get a fine. Yeah. You're still out your stuff. Right. It goes to the insurance company. If that happened in the Old Testament, I actually have to go and say, Andy and Sandra, I'm the guy who stole everything. Here's your stuff. Here's an extra, I think it's 20% yeah. on top of that. So here's another TV for the family room <laughs> and some cash. But what I thought was so brilliant about that, and we lost it somewhere in the Greco-Roman legal code, was it was about relationship. That yeah. basically, if I, if I steal your property, it's not about your property, it's about your relationship. And I thought your parenting rules really tie into that. I don't know if they ever saw a link between that, hmm. but... I thought that was well, interesting. But to your point, this is a great point. I've not thought of this. But of course, those communities were so small and you couldn't go anywhere. You couldn't jump in your car and go to the next city. Everybody either knew everybody or knew somebody who knew everybody. And once you robbed someone's home, you ran away. And how far can you actually run? So the whole idea of restitution relationally um, I'm not gonna say it was easier, but it was certainly easier to facilitate because villages and towns were smaller. More like an extended family. Ex more yeah. like an extended family. Yeah. And, but yet the value of that was extraordinary. And the fact that we've lost that, and, and this goes to one of the things we talk about too, 
and I don't want to hijack where we are in the, the, the interview, so head no, me off ahead, the pass. No, go ahead, we'll pull it back. One of the things we did not do, we rarely took things away from our kids, took their door off, took the PlayStation, put them on restriction, took the car keys, took the phones. We rarely did any of that because that reflects the modern culture model that I steal something from you. So but I get I, punished. So I get punished over here. It has nothing to do with restitution for you. So all of our discipline, we worked really hard, a couple of great examples in the book, and Sandra was so great at this. We responded to disrespect, disobedience, and dishonesty with punishments or discipline that reconnected our kids with who was offended because there's always a person on the other end that's impacted by a broken rule. So consequently, instead of opting for the isolated, you know, we're gonna isolate you, we're gonna be, no, we're gonna, we're gonna herd you back in that person's direction and you're gonna restore the relationship as you just described as mm -hmm. we see in the book of Exodus. And when that happens, mm -hmm. then you're done. You're not on mm -hmm. restriction with your kids at home and nobody can go anywhere because you know, they're, they're grounded. Mm -hmm. you're, you're done because you've reestablished the relationship. But all of that flowed from this early decision to identify what is our it, what is our win relationally. And it's at the end of the process that our kids would wanna be with each other and with us when they no longer had to be, which meant the relationships have to be intact, which means we have to parent to the relationship set rules that are relational and discipline toward relation, relational restitution. So that, it really was, it drove the process. Yeah, should I give the, an example, uh, maybe the story? So we had one story when our kids were younger mm -hmm. of this very thing and, and Andy and I had been out on a date, we get home, there's a babysitter there and we can tell, you know, how was the night? And she's like, well, I mean, it was, you know, whatever. And she was not one of those, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was not one of those, we, anyway, she was, yeah. she was a great babysitter. We had to pull the story out of her to figure out what had happened. And our boys had basically been very disrespectful to the babysitter. And so, um, so we, you know, apologize, send her on her way, pay her a little extra, you know, whatever. And so... The next morning, I wake the boys up early and I told them, I said, hey, I'm gonna need y'all to meet me down in the kitchen. I've got some note cards out and you have got to write Julie some apology letters. And I'm gonna need you to also bring your wallets downstairs when you come down. And so they're like, you know, eyes are big. They come downstairs, they're, you know, writing their apology letters to Julie. And I said, okay, now what I need you to do is close up those envelopes, get your wallet and meet me in the car. And so I get Allie, I load Allie into the car. The boys come to the car and I said, we're headed to Publix and you're gonna buy Julie some flowers with your money. And mm -hmm. we were just at that season of life with them where money meant something. Mm -hmm. We had graduated from the jars to the wallet. Wow. So yeah, yeah, so money was meaningful at this point. And so we go into Publix, you know, they're like, mom, really? I mean, you know, just that whole thing. So they buy their flowers. And I said, now we are going to go visit Julie at her office and you're gonna take your notes and your flowers and you're gonna give them to Julie and you're gonna look her in the eye and you're gonna apologize. In front of whoever and, else is in the office. You know, we're gonna march all the way into this the This isn't office. a private, that's what they thought. Yeah, oh. and they're like, please mom, just you know, take all my money. Don't please yeah. just, you know, take my all my toys. I just, don't yes. let us do this. And I wanna comment so, on this. So essentially, they would have preferred a traditional approach to discipline. Take yeah. my PlayStation for a week, take, do anything. Send me to jail for a day. But don't make me- Do this. Don't make me do this. And that's the power of this approach. So yes. Tell them what happened. So we walk into the office, go to her desk. They hand her her flowers, her note card, and they look so cute, you know, obviously. And so they're giving her and they're like, Julie, we're, you know, I, each took their turn. I'm so sorry that we were, that I was so disrespectful to you last night. I hope you can forgive me. And then, you know, then Gary, you know, the next one did his. And so then we, you know, she, of course, gives them hugs. She's, she was fine. Yeah. You know, she was fine immediately. She didn't even need it. But for them, it was huge because it was a, an early, you know, just impressionable time for them and they restored a relationship. So next time Julie came over, there wasn't a whole lot of like, oh, we're sorry, remember, you know, I mean, it was mm -hmm. over. Yeah. When mm -hmm. we walked out of that office building, it was over. And we didn't, there so, was no more punishment. That was yeah. it, yeah. yeah. Because the relationship so, was restored and wow. that's the point. And the other thing that's so important with this and, and those who are watching or listening understand this, but helping our kids understand this early, Restoring a relationship always requires humility. It's one of the reasons we don't do it. It's one of the reasons some adults don't know how to fix a relationship with a brother or sister or one of their parents and their adults because mm -hmm. it, restoring a relationship is a skill that has to be taught. 
So the humility factor of having to walk through the cubes to Julie's, I mean, the humility factor is a necessary part of restoring a relationship. So connecting all of those dots in that experience early was was huge. And then once again, it's over, we're done, we just move on, so. We had more experiences similar to that one as they you know, grew, went yeah. through different seasons yeah, that, of parenting. Yeah. But the great news too now is we fast forward to, to where they are now. They know how to appropriately apologize. They know how to restore a relationship. They know how to offer restitution when that, mm-hmm. when that comes along and that is going to serve them well in their adult relationships. So it's not just about you know, disciplining or you know, you know, all of that. It really is a life skill. Yeah. So before we get into the other stages of parenting, I want to talk a little bit about your family of origin. And I'd love to know, because I think that probably was a unique thing, not just, oh, it's different than Andy's family. I think it's different for most families. What things did your parents do? What was the culture in your home when you were 3, 13, that created that culture where you're like, I can't wait to be with my family. I can't wait to be. And nobody, this wasn't the annual dad's paying, everybody's yeah, right. coming yeah, kind of vacation, right? right? What right. what created that? That is such a good question, Carrie. I really think there were a number of things, but one of them was we had meals around our table regularly. Mm. And I will, let me say this, we did not have perfect relationships growing up. We did sure. not like each other during certain seasons. I mean, we had all the normal things. We had our own friends. I mean, it's not like we were just a little kumbaya family, you know, through every season of life. So we were a very normal family. Um, but we really did. We had bre- we had to be Dad, Lieutenant Colonel, Marine Corps. Um, we had breakfast together before school, and then we had dinner at night. And then as we got older, you know, just like in our home, you know, you make you make adjustments as everybody's schedules change and all mm-hmm. that. But for the most part, we had meals together, and those were the times when, whether we had a good attitude about it or not, we're all there and we're all having conversations and we're connecting with each other in those environments. Um, another one was we always traveled together as a family. We weren't allowed to bring friends. You know, it was it was just us, and this is our time as a family. And we have so many funny memories that Allison, Jack, and I, my siblings and I, still laugh about on some of these trips. We were always in our van, you know. <laughs> we were in our big, you know, family van, and you know, wherever it was that we were going. So. Time is, was probably the biggest thing. It was really an investment of time. And my parents made sacrifices for us to be intentional and have time and, and do those things together. Her dad really did make sacrifices, even professionally, to ensure that he was available and around. And he, again, Marine Colonel, he's not, um, I mean, if he were sitting here, I would say this. He's not an overtly, quote, spiritual person, although he's a person of faith. Or emotional. Not yet, and not a man of many, many words. But his love for his family and his willingness to intuitively get this right was amazing. And part of the thing that made it amazing is his father died when he was... About 10 years old. So he grew up with a single mom. Yeah. So again, there wasn't even a role model, which maybe... And my dad's the same way. My dad's died... died, uh, His dad died when my dad was an infant. So both of our parents were raised by single moms for an extended season of time. And yet they, you know, they figured out how to... You know, One of the things interesting about my dad was he was an only child, and he craved family, mm. and I and somehow he figured out how to how yeah. to just do it right. And yet, if you don't get the relationship right, it becomes codependent or yes. needy, right? Or so any lines on that that you want to talk yeah. about? Codependency is real. Well, I a little bit of the pushback I've gotten early on. We would talk about this. Is it sounds like codependency? I'm like, no, no. Mm-hmm. See, codependent people don't enjoy being together. They have to be together because they need each other. Yeah. We're talking about different, yeah, you know, differentiating, individuating. But you have to individuate before you can choose freely who you want to be with. So this isn't about keeping everybody, you know, controlled. You're all going to work for me. We're all going to be part of the, you know, this isn't that. This Mm -hmm. is raise healthy, individuated kids who enjoy the relationship so much they choose to come back. And so it's it's not, certainly not codependency. And it's not selfish. Oh, you're, as parents, you're just trying to keep your kids close. No, this is win, win, win. Because children who know how to manage facilitate and repair healthy relationships 
are gonna win in all of their relationships. So the, the best thing we can give our kids is relational skills because people with high relational skills and who can maintain healthy relationships, they're happier. If, if you wanna raise happy children, they need to be intuitive relationally. Nobody's happier than their relationships, right? True. So consequently, as much as we value education, as much as we love sports, as much as we love um, the fact that they all have faith, we decided that it, the thing, the win, was relational integrity with each other and, and with us. So. so let's touch on the other phases of parenting, and then I got a stack of questions. Okay. Okay. So, so what we learned early on was there are four stages of parenting. We just talked about the discipline one. So the next one is the training years, and that's like five years old to 12 years old. And the training years are when our kids are able to reason a little bit more, so we're able to kind of explain while we're training them. We've moved out of that discipline season. We're still disciplining, of course, sure. um, but we are focused more on explaining while we're training. And during this season, we practiced everything with our kids. We can talk about that some more, but we just, we made everything a game because during this season of life, everything is fun and nothing is dumb. Give us a quick example. So, okay, so we're, let's say we're, we're about to have guests come over for dinner. Yes. So we let's made a game. Carrie's coming over yeah, for Carrie's dinner. Yeah, Carrie's coming over I'm for in. dinner. So our kids, when, I you know. I would go so outside. Andy would go out, he'd ring the doorbell, and the kids would go to the door, and they'd open the door, and they'd say, hey, Mr. Newhoff, and they'd, wow. you know, practice getting their hands out quick. Look me in the, in the eye. eye. Look me in the yeah. eye. And if they didn't pronounce and the name right, let's do it again. They'd run back to the kitchen. <laughs> we'd make it a game, and we would yeah. practice it. And we, in the training years, and this is something we've all seen, I would watch parents expect their kids to know how to behave in public. And I'm thinking to myself, and the kids aren't behaving well in public, I'm thinking, you didn't practice at home. You are mm. expecting something mm. of them you never trained them to do. The only way to get good at something is to practice. The only way to get good at something is to train for it. So if you want your kids to be able to behave in a restaurant, if you want them to be able to greet someone, if you want them to be able to shake, whatever it is we want them to do in public, you practice and practice and practice at home. And in the training years, as she said, everything's a game and everything is fun. So we would practice the craziest things and it was so much fun. Then we'd go out in public. And this sounds too much like a brag, we rarely ate out when someone in a restaurant did not walk up to us and say, your kids are so well behaved. Now to us, they were just being normal, but we got that so much, but at home, we trained. Eating around the table was, oh no, we're, we're, we're practicing. So you can't be wild and crazy at home and think, you know, we're gonna go out to eat and they're just gonna put on their, use their indoor voice and you know, all those things. <laughs> So we were yeah, we very intentional about that. So. Did you get when you were practicing, particularly as the kids got a little bit older, maybe 11 or 12 in those nah, teenage yeah, yeah, yeah. years? You're done. You're no. done. No, because okay. training years, everything is fun, nothing is dumb. 12 years and all on, everything is dumb and nothing is fun. Yeah. Okay, because so I'm you like, did you get, get eye rolls in, You got to get that, that in early. We got it in early before because we knew, again, we worked yeah. with high school t kids for 10 years. We knew yeah. we had a window. I'm not practicing. Right, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, no. no, those, yeah. But by yeah, then, hopefully they had some, they had they had some, some habits, yeah. Right. Okay, so, so you then into the, the training yeah, so years. then those were the training years. Then coaching years are like 12 to 18. This is when we step back a little bit, kind of let them be in the game, making some decisions, experiencing some natural consequences that just come with, you know, making poor choices at certain seasons. Um, this is where we really do step back. And, you know, in the coaching season, there are times we yank them off the field, of course, but we're really just kind of letting them figure some stuff out. And we're right here. We are for them. Um, I think I feel like my conversation, some of my words changed. And instead of saying, you know, when it was, well, why am I going to have to do that? Because I'm for you. I'm for you getting to the end of your middle school years or your mm -hmm. high school years with as few regrets as possible. I'm for you, and that's why we're doing it this way. Or, you know, but just coaching during those years. And it's during this coaching season where we're working toward connecting more than we're correcting. We're really wanting to connect with our kids. We wanna we want them to feel connected to us. So when they do hit those difficult times or make a poor choice, they feel like they can turn to us. Mm -hmm. And um and while they're still in our home, one of the one of the things Andy told him early on was our goal is when you're a senior in high school, you don't even have to have any guidelines. You know, you can make mm -hmm. your own choices. Yeah. We would love for that to happen while you're still here. 
and rather than the minute you walk out of our <laughs> the door. Walk out the door. <laughs> right. yeah. So yeah, the that's the coaching years. And then the friendship years are 18 and on. And that's where we are now and, and where you are. And it just, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's a good, good place to be when you feel good about your kids. So you mentioned making some mistakes when the stakes were low. Do you got a story or a line that you kind of drew? Because you're right, you can get into the rescuing years yeah. where yeah. you use sometimes your connections or whatever to minimize consequences for kids, et cetera, where the stakes only get higher. I mean, you right. make a yeah. critical mistake at 20, yeah. you're paying at a level you never pay right. at 12. Right. Did you have a line where you're like, this is where we yank them? Like, how did you, how did you handle that? <clears throat> We, I thought the line should be <laughs> for closer in than he thought like, it you're was. I'd be like, match. I, Get think, back here. I yeah. think this is where we need to yank them off the field. He's like, they're fine. They're fine. Good. I I did feel like give, it was easier for me to give them some running room and some crash and burn room um, than it was for Sandra. And part of it was, I'm a, and this was with our boys specifically, yeah. and because I'm a guy, I... I just understood. And again, our two boys have two very different personalities. And one is super introverted, one's super extroverted. And just taking that into consideration, um, for example, for our extroverted son, I made it clear to him he could say anything he wanted to me with any words, at any volume, with any tone. I'm fine. Now, you cannot talk to your mom that way. But, you, can, you know, I can take it. Let's I want, I want to know what's in there. So I'm not going to just shut you down. And this is this was one of the things, one of our points of conversation through the years is neither one of us were allowed to talk disrespectfully to our fathers, which sounds like a great rule. Mm-hmm. But I knew for our extroverted son, he needed to extrovert and he's going to extrovert. It's going to go somewhere. I'd rather it come toward me. So... You know, so is that a bit of a pivot? Because you you absolutely said you cannot disrespect your mother, but right. it was like we're not going to disrespect. Well, we had two big rules, and that was one: honor mom. You you don't have to honor me. Got to honor mom. That she is you know off limits in terms of dishonor. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I made that differentiation when they were very young, and because of this, and so consequently, um, you know, Sandra would come in after conversations she would overhear, and she's like why do you let him talk to you that way? I'm like, because that's what's in him. And I'm okay. I I don't take it personally. He was not confused though, that it was disrespectful because mm. he would always, he's tenderhearted and he would always come back yep. and apologize. Yep. Dad, I'm always. sorry, dad. Yeah, yeah. Yep. So he would know, and that day. was part of why it worked, I think. Andy would allow it, but it would ping his conscience because of those discipline years and talking so much about disrespect and dishonesty and you know disobedience during those years. It was part of the fiber and foundation that we had laid early. So even in those years when he just almost couldn't help but erupt, he erupted here, but he circled back. So let's talk about self-awareness, self-regulation. Daniel Goleman, Keys to Emotional Intelligence. You know, you're saying you've got to put the brakes on how you're feeling in certain moments. Andy, when one of your kids, the extroverted one, is saying things that, you know, are not, that don't feel great, what is going on inside you? Honestly, it, for whatever reason, I'm not mm-hmm. taking credit. I'm, I'm sure it's the, the way I'm wired. Temperament. It's temperament, a lot of it is I knew, because as is the case with, when it gets you know rough between parents and child, the, the child wants to do something, the son or daughter wants to do something, the parent is saying no. It, it's always we bumped into a no. And the thing is about no, you can say yes, but then there's another no, so that doesn't end. So you might as well just mm-hmm. hold your ground with your first no, because there's eventually, I mean, that's just human nature. So you know when this would happen, I had to be confident, and it's hard, and it, it's, it's hard for a conversation to end and you wonder, did I do this the right way? Did I handle it the right way? So I just had to decide, I'm just gonna trust my gut. This is the right decision. He doesn't like it or she doesn't like it. And I'm just gonna stand my ground and they can beat against the wall all day and all night. But I, this is, I'm gonna stand my ground. And I, it wasn't easy, but I think my confidence in terms of some of those decisions, I was, I, it's the right decision. And I'm not going to argue in the, bo- in the book. We talk about why it's a bad idea to ever argue with your child. You can argue with a peer, but you can't actually have an argument with a child because 
you're in a relationship with your child, it's not the same relationship. Another really big idea in the book. <laughs> you're in a relationship with your child, but it's not the same relationship. As a parent, it's easy, especially when they're as tall as we are, to think, I'm, you know, we're gonna go back and forth like we're peers. Right. Well, we're not peers. We'll <laughs> they never be peers. They don't even have a whole brain yet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. So, so, um, yeah. so yeah, those were, you know, that's good. Those things were challenging. I'm more wired. Like, uh, oh, you said that. Well, I'll, say this. I'll, I'll go. I up. can win the argument. I'll ask. I, I'm right. very good at yeah. that. I will yeah. out argue you. Very yes. bad at yeah. that. Yeah. Call your dad. But you have that yeah. maturity. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What about you, Sandra? What was the self-regulation like um, for you? I it would I on the temperament chart. I'm in quadrant red. And so it would be, it's a lot easier for me to get drawn in. But the boys knew from early on that, you know, that if there's something hard, you know, we're going we're gonna to do that with dad. And I think as a mom too, there is a, see a, you know, a, there's a place where you pivot and you allow the, all of the harder things, if, if it's possible in your home, if there's a dad there and it's possible, the dad needs to address certain things. I've never been a guy. And there's so many things I can't understand about what's going on inside of their heads. We don't and know so, either, but it is different. But it is different. So <laughs> I recognized it yeah. about, you know, like 12, 13, the beginning of the coaching years, that I'm going to be their cheerleader. I'm going to be their supporter. I'm going to say a hard thing every now and then when I need to, but pretty much I'm turning it over to him. So that, and that was with our boys. With Allie, it was a completely was different thing. Yeah. Completely yeah. different thing, but she also was just, you know, compliant. And she, she was just sort of an easy person to but raise. But there was a season where it, Allie couldn't hear Sandra anymore on certain mm -hmm. things. And it really and did had, need to come from him. Yep. And with, with our middle one too, there, was, there were certain topics that were better coming from me yep. to mm -hmm. him. So there were some things. One of the things we talk about in the book, we do a whole section on words. And we, there's kind of three principles that govern the words we use in the home. And one of them is, well, first of all, all words don't weigh the same. And the source of the words determines the weight of the words. The source determines the weight. So when we think about who needs to deliver a specific message, the message needs to be delivered, but the source of the message determines the weight of the words. And certain words from certain people can be so heavy, it outweighs the message. I'm, I'm crushed by the weight of the words. I can't hear what you're saying. I don't know how to respond. So those are, you know, th those things are pretty easy to figure out once there's a, a framework. And so that's one of the reasons, in fact, one of the longest chapters in the books, in the book is on the weight of words and how parents should navigate the words they choose and, and why that's important. Allie and Andy are so similar to each other in their interests and just, they're, you know, they're both great writers, great thinkers. So there were so many things that she could just naturally relate to him better on and, and some things that the boys and I related better on. I'm more, you know, kind of that engineer, you know, everything is in a line and everything um, is, anyway, so there were just some things that we could, yeah. We could, but part of that is being a student of your kids and understanding yeah. what are the things that are a better conversation with me and this particular child? What are some things that are better conversations with him? Well, you're both so child? astute. I remember you would say in your parenting series over the years, Andy, you know, approach is everything. Angle is everything. Angle is everything. But I just have two boys and I don't want to say which is which, but one of them, I felt like I need big words. I need capital letters and they need to weigh a thousand pounds and maybe you'll hear half of it. And the other one, all I had to do was like look like I was a little bit upset and the tears would start to flow. And I'm like, I don't need words there. And if you'd use words, you would have... Crushed him. Crushed, crushed him. crushed him. Crushed and that's him. the parent who says, nope, I've got a, a bat, everything's a ball, i got a hammer, everything's a nail. Mm -hmm. You cannot parent that way. It will work with one, but not the other one, and you'll think, what's wrong with him? Nothing. Uh -huh. He's different than the, his brother or her yeah. sister, you know? So it's, mm -hmm. uh, that's, and I think most parents eventually figure that out, but the earlier we can dial it. In fact, our biggest mistake of, of the many mistakes is not being dialed into our extroverted child's extrovertedness and not taking that into consideration as much as we should have. In fact, and we've mm -hmm. apologized we to him. When we, mm -hmm. took, we, when we figured out this whole temperament thing, we realized Andy and I are both, I'm kind of red, blue. Anyway, Garrett's opposite from us. Mm -hmm. And so 
we circled back after we did this temperament thing and apologized to Kira. We really wish that we had understood more about the introvert extrovert thing and your, you know, mm-hmm. yellow outgoing personality. We should have made some more space and not been so mm-hmm. sit down, be quiet. You know, why are you doing that? Stop. <laughs> you know, all of those things. And so we apologized to him on a number of different occasions. And finally, one day yeah, he goes, tell him what he okay. said, he said, all right, let me tell y'all something. I appreciate it that you, you know, keep apologizing about this and everything. He said, but I've met some super outgoing yellows on the temperament chart and I don't really like them that much. So if y'all toned it down in me, thank you. <laughs> he, said, he said, he said, I wish their, their parents needed to help them tone it down a little bit like he did for me. We're like, so, okay, yeah, we'll okay, take well, that. We'll, yeah. we'll at least stop apologizing. Yeah. Well, I don't know whether you guys remember this. We were backstage once at an event and I think, I think it was Garrett who's on social media was saying something and you're like, oh no. And I remember being in on this like family thing and I don't remember exactly what it was. Tony was there too. I marveled at the way the two of you talked about it, the way you discussed it so rationally. There was no eye roll. Do you remember that, Andy? I don't have any recollection. You guys, you guys were just so mature about it. And we, we talked about it for a minute. I want to talk about how the two of you stayed on the same page. Cause that's been, I've known you for a long time. That's so important. It's remarkable. Can you yeah. talk about how Sandra and Andy negotiate? And I know you know a lot more now looking back in the rear view mirror going, oh, this was that, right. or this was that. And you're but able to put moment. it in book form. But in the moment, I thought you always did a commendable job of that better than me. I remember asking you at um, a lead pastor event, not a big room, you know, we were talking about fighting hot and fighting cold. Tony's cold, I'm hot. Like, that's me. Firstborn, Enneagram 8, lawyer, etc. You both, hand, and we figured that all out in our marriage, and it's so much better than it was all those years ago. <laughs> and let me guess which one of you changed. Uh, yeah, okay, go ahead. Yeah. Wait, let me it guess was... which one made the adjustment. Mm, okay, <laughs> Which one ahead. had to, correct, yeah. correct, it was me. Um, how do you guys handle that? Like, how do you have those conversations? We had some difficult... Yeah. Conversations, but we had conversations. They were conversations, mm-hmm. and I think we both recognize each other's strengths, and that's part of it. Is me just recognizing, okay, he probably knows better about that than I do, or or him recognizing she probably has some discernment there that I'm not, you know, clued into, or or something. So we, it was always a conversation, and we didn't get it right every time. No, we didn't. But one of the things that's true of both of us, and I think, and part of it's just being older and maturing, is there's there's no virtue generally in stubbornness, just being stubborn. And, and there is in me, like there is in everyone, I, certainly everyone I know well, I don't want to be told what to do. I don't want to be told I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. I, I don't want her to come at me and say, you shouldn't have said that, you shouldn't have done I mean, I don't like that. But the moment I find myself building up a head of steam to resist and to go back at her, I realize you're about to lose something, Andy. You're, you're not going to learn anything. Mm-hmm. And she's usually right anyway. So just, Correct. you know, just because I get my feelings hurt and, or, you know, so just learning to listen, be curious, listen, a, a, you know, apologize quickly, admit you're wrong. It just keeps even those hard conversations going back and forth. But on a couple of occasions, and not many, I knew I was this mm-hmm. I was confident I should say that I was right about this and and I would say Sandra you just have to Please trust me trust with me this. On this trust thing. me with yeah. this and if I'm wrong or this goes off the rails I will be quick to acknowledge it but I feel pretty strong just and she'd be like it was hard deep for her. breath okay deep breath okay <laughs> so we you know and that went both yeah. ways and so mm-hmm. that was um but it's, again, it's a conversation yeah. and, and, you know, take pride off the table and, and you, can, you can make progress. And, and I'm not just making this up. It really had everything to do with our it. Because I would say- it informed so many decisions. And for our extroverted son in particular, I would say, look, I don't want to lose him. Mm-hmm. I don't mean physically out the door, but sure, we, sure. You, we've seen this. I'm we've old. seen kids mm-hmm. with the parents and the kid's not really there. They're at the table. They're in the car, you know, they're at the mall, but they're not there. You, you just, they're gone. And as, working with high school students and parents for mm-hmm. so long, mm-hmm. I, I would say, look. The, I, I, typically it was, I felt like there should be a stronger punishment, addressing it, whatever it was. I felt like this isn't enough. And 
that was typically how it was if I'm just being honest. No. <laughs> and I would say, you know what? Yeah. I, we can, I would say, we can, we can do, do that. that. <laughs> we can do that. But, but we might lose him. And it would always go back to this. Wow. Yeah. Switching gears a little bit. I'm going to get the title wrong. Choosing to cheat. What's it called now? Oh, uh, when, when work, work and family collide. When work and family which collide. Which is a terrible title. Yes. I like I <laughs> choosing to cheat I too, Andy. I love choosing to cheat. I'm the voting for choosing to cheat. Publisher is like, eh, anyway. I was out of your hands. But I, I love it because that was written when the kids were young. You were in it. North Point was starting. Crazy, explosive growth. Couldn't build it fast enough. And it was, I need to be home every day at 4.30, not working on my day off. And the church exploded. And I remember reading that when I was still in the thick of it going, I wish that was true. It's true now for me in my 40s and 50s, but my kids are older. Can you relive some of those principles for young parents? Because it really seemed to work as a family. And you were home full-time with kids. I was. So when we started, when we started North Point, I was, we had two in diapers and I'm pregnant with number three. And so, you know, (laughs) we did, yeah, perfect, perfect time time to start a church. (laughs) And so as, you know, as you know, and as a lot of people know, starting a church is, it's labor intensive. Or starting any business. Yeah, starting anything is, it's labor intensive on the front end for sure. And we were, you know, we had Allie. Now, now we got three. We got one finally potty trained. But life was just hard. That is a hard season of parenting when you have your kids close together, which I'm very glad we did. But it was just, you know, it was, it was a lot. Yeah. And I was occasionally feeling like a single mom just because he was so busy and, and meeting with people. And, you know, after the work day, people would want to meet with him, you know, at 5, 5.30, 6 o'clock. Or meetings um, with volunteers after work. You know, yeah, all, just all, all, the, all, the, all the things yeah. that go with it. And so I think we were kind of getting to a point where it was, it was, it was just a, kind of a breaking point. I was, yeah. I was tired. And so he— So I came home yeah. and I said, okay, ideal world. What does it look like? What What do you need from me? If you just, everything's on the table. What? And after a few minutes, it came down to, if you could be home at 4.30. Because they went to bed at 7.30. I mean, yeah. they were so young. If you young, want to go back to were, work at 7.30. They were in bed by 7, 7.30. 4:30. So that post-lunch, post-nap time window was the hard window. I said, so. okay, I'll, um, I'll be here. And our offices weren't that far from home. Real close. But I, you know, sat down with my four staff members and said, I'm going to be the first, I'm supposedly the captain of this ship, but I'm leaving. And, uh, and, they, and they had, most of them had older kids or we're different phases of parenting. But of course, I've always said, you know this, hey, do not sacrifice your family for this church. Yeah. Do not. I, that's not a I don't, that's not good. That's bad. That's a, I feel like I've anybody. lost as an employer and as a leader if I create an environment that causes families to abandon, you know, to sac, uh, leaders to sacrifice their family for any organization, much less the church. But I, I did. I sat down. I said, okay, this is the deal. I'm leaving every day at four. Um, I, and I would tell people, they'd say, can I meet with you at 5.30? I'm like, 5.30 a.m., I'll meet you. But not 5.30 in the afternoon. <laughs> yeah, I told right. him, you can leave yeah. as early as you yeah, want yeah, to in the morning. Right. I got the morning. Yeah, <laughs> and so we just decided, and I, I don't, I'm not suggesting this, there's no magic or mysticism to this, but my prayer was basically, Heavenly Father, this season I can give you about 40 hours a week for this church. So if you can build whatever you can do with my 40 hours a week, I'll be satisfied with that, but I know you don't want me to sacrifice my family for the sake of this church. I, I mean, I'm a preacher's kid. I, I, you know, I know what can happen. And my dad, yeah. my dad didn't sacrifice us for the sake of the church. I, I grew up in a healthy environment in that sense. So I just made that commitment, made that decision, and you know, here we are. So. Hmm. Yeah. What difference did that make to you? On a bunch of levels, it made a difference. It made a difference on the having four hands instead of two, which was huge. But it really did, I think, do something inside of me and in our marriage that just said, you know what, you're the priority. You and the kids are the priority over, you know, over everything else besides his personal relationship with Jesus. So um, it it was huge on, on a number of levels and it allowed us to get through that season. And as soon as we were kind of through that, I was, you know, I was like, okay, we, you were good now. We've, we've made it through this, you know, harder season. If you need to stretch those hours a little mm-hmm. bit, we can do that now. But, but it was really during that, 
difficult yeah. little window of time that it made the biggest And that's difference. what you don't see. Like when I've seen you over the last six, seven years, you know, Allie's married and a mom now and all that stuff. You're like, yeah, I'm working a lot more hours, right? And that's what I say. Whatever. Yeah. I, if I cheated the church then, yeah. church is getting it all back getting now. Getting it all back now. <laughs> but it's because I love what I do and I don't have a bunch of hobbies. And love it. So it's, you know, it, and, and, and one of the important takeaways is that there's, and the way we say it, no for now, but not forever. That's no right. for now, but not forever. There are things that we categorically just took off the table, took off the calendar, not just, what about Thursday night at seven? No, categorically, we're not doing right. this. No for now, but not forever. For, later on, we'll bring this back in, but no for now, not forever. And so travel was one of those. I just didn't mm-hmm. travel and go do everybody else's events. I, I was at home. No for now, not forever. And so that kind of helped us establish yes. a bit of a rhythm too. Do you find too, you know, with your kids grown and gone and Tony and I are at a similar stage, it's like, I thought I'd be 92 years old, bent over in a wheelchair. <laughs> and it's like, I feel really good yeah. and young and yeah. vibrant. Like there's a long runway ahead. Has that been your experience as well? Yes, and that's one of the things we also talk about. We talk about later is longer. Mm-hmm. And, you know, with that whole idea of, of you know, sowing and reaping and doing the hard work and the heavy lifting early, there really is a payoff later and saying no for now. You know, there's so many things that I said no to categorically that I can say yes to in this season. And it's Mm. been fun, even writing, you know, things is just like that. So even doing some writing stuff has been fun in this season. I never would have considered it in an earlier season. So important for your audience with young kids. It's hard to imagine this. You're going to have more years with adult children than little children. You're probably going to have a lot more years with adult mm-hmm. children than with young children. And you don't even think that they're children, they're still your children. Well, mm-hmm. I remember so, thinking, yeah, in that early season yeah, of life, yeah. this is my life. It's, know, wi- it's wiping, wiping people's end. body parts all day long, <laughs> driving people everywhere all day long. This is my life. It just felt like this is my life for the rest of my life. And then it ends. Yeah. And so, mm-hmm. you know. So is. getting those seasons correct, those stages of parenting correct, and in the right order, don't try to be friends too early, set you up to be potentially friends with your adult kids for a long time, mm-hmm. for another lifetime. Um, yeah. But it doesn't, it certainly doesn't feel like it when you're That's in the right. thick of it. Yeah. Well, the book is called Parenting, Getting It Right, co-authored. We didn't even get into the writing process, but that's it was fun. It was fun. It was, was it fun. fun? It I was only fun. had to write half a book. It was great. <laughs> it was, I, it was my favorite book. I only had to write half of it. We had so. a great time reminiscing. I went back to some old journals and started reading stories, you know, that I had recorded years ago. Mm. And so it was a really fun process wow. doing it together. It is a great book. And if you've listened to the parenting series as I have over the years, some of that's in here, but there's a lot of brand new content too. And it's beautifully organized, really well done. I want to thank you both so much. I appreciate you. I've learned so much from you both over the years. And thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. Thank you, Gary. Man, that was a great conversation. And it was even better to have it in person. By the way, we love all of you who listen to the podcast. I listen to podcasts way more than I watch them. But if you're of the video mind, we have a a great shoot on this one in particular because we did it at North Point. You can go to my YouTube channel. Just look for Carrie Newhoff on YouTube and you'll find me there. And uh, we got this and I'll be doing a number of interviews on the road this year. So if you enjoy that, make sure you subscribe. And I want to thank our sponsors. By the way, this episode is brought to you by my free newsletter. It's brand new. It's called the On The Rise Newsletter. And you could subscribe for free online at ontherisenewsletter.com. If you sign up today, I'll send you a sample newsletter right away so you can get an instant taste of what it's like. And then every Friday, I'll send it out. And also by Belay, you can text Carrie, that's C-A-R-E-Y, to 55123 to get the support you need to get out of financial ambiguity and back to doing what you do best with Belay. So text Carrie, C-A-R-E-Y, to 55123 to get that free resource. And of course, we got show notes too with transcripts at kerrynewhoff.com slash episode 550. So all of that is available to you for free. We're so excited to give you stuff like that. And I want to thank all of you for investing your time. We uh, had the best January we have ever had. Very, very grateful for the way you support this show, the way you get the word out. And uh, I am just so thankful that we get to do this every time. If you're new, welcome and please subscribe. Make sure you just subscribe to this. It's absolutely free. We do this every time. And let me tell you what we got coming up next. Carlos Whitaker. Carlos and I, whoo, 
it is never boring with Carlos. Here's an excerpt. Yeah. So you've got people who wouldn't normally be caught dead at the same dinner yes. party yes. going to your party. Yes. And I want to know what you're learning about taking a definitive, sometimes controversial and divisive point of view, but building unity at the same time, because that is mm. so rare, Carlos, so it is. rare and so needed. Yeah, it is. And, and I think it's rare, Carrie, because leaders are scared to even try. Oh. I, 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 I just, I, I just want to say that like, like I'll, I'll have leaders come to me all the time. Like Carlos, like I just, if I do that, people are going to leave if I, and I'm, and I'm always like, yeah, yeah. Like, but do you know how many people are desperate for a leader to do what I'm doing on the social space to do in mm -hmm. real life? Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. like, like, like it's, it's who are leaving are the fringe, but the fringe there's so many people that aren't on the friends that are ready to come be a part of a community in real life and, and around and be around people that don't look like them, think like them, vote like them, love like them, talk like them. So we're going all over the place with Carlos Whitaker next time. Also coming up, Craig Groeschel, John Mark Comer, John Lee Dumas, Gretchen Rubin. We got Ben Higgins from The Bachelor, Albert Tate, Nathan Finocchio, Andy Wood, the new pastor at Saddleback, and a whole lot more. And hey, speaking of the new pastor at Saddleback, when it comes to pastoral succession at your church, a bad transition can ruin a great legacy, harm a church, and make the new leader a sacrificial lamb. That doesn't have to be your story. The Pastoral Succession Toolkit is available for free. Sean Morgan and I developed it together, and Sean helped out with the transition at Saddleback. So it is your guide to discern your call to be a lead pastor, understand your alignment with the church you'll be leading, negotiate your salary. Yeah, we'll show you how to do that. And then timing each of these steps so carefully. You can get it for free at successiontoolkit.com. Well, thank you so much for listening. I appreciate it. We'll catch you next time on the podcast. And I hope our conversation today helped you identify and break a growth barrier you're facing at home or in your ministry.